Welcome, guys, to the fifth fifth episode fifth, yep. of the podcast idea. Today, we are joined uh, by our participant, Casper. You've seen him before. Senior participant. David, of course. And our guest today, Daniel. Oh, hello. Daniel. <laughs> All right. Uh, Daniel, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, interests, whatever you want. My name is Daniel. Uh, I go to the same class as Nick and Casper. Uh, I'm 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Usually how that starts, yeah. Um, You're a guy. I'm a guy. I'm into economics. I like right, politics. Nice. I um, I read a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm just your average Joe, my guy. Okay, nice, nice. Okay, so since you touched on economics, yeah, why don't we start by there? Okay. So what what do you believe in? What uh, just tell us a little bit about what you would uh, what your introduction to economics would be for us that. Maybe Casper knows a little bit more than at least me. Bro, we all three do economics. Okay. Yeah, bro, all of us. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, but this guy reads a lot. I know that for a fact. Um, tell us, what can you tell us about economics? Well, it's yeah. well, it's a bit uh, nuanced economics because unlike natural sciences, it's very hard to determine who is right, and it's really hard because econ is a social science, so you can't really do extremely reliable like experimentation. Like, unlike natural sciences, where there is, like, it's binary, it's right or wrong, and there's not many theories. Unless you talk about, like, like fucked up, like, uh, physics. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, okay. you are allowed to I, like, swear. I like fucked up, like, physics theories, like quantum theory and shit. But economics is purely theory. There is no actual, like, objective fact or evidence. Yeah. So, in that case, there's a lot of opinion and a lot of, like, values and a lot of, like, different views on economics. So currently, I, I consider myself more neoclassical. I'm a market monetarist, which is essentially like, you know, the Friedman monetarist school. But instead of like inflation targeting, I believe that the central bank should do a nominal GDP targeting. Okay. Okay, explain so for, that. Uh, explain that for people, people that don't, don't know. Don't know so um, when you think about economics and what the government intervenes in the economics, there's two real ways. There's like fiscal policy and there's monetary policy. Fiscal policy is stuff like how much the government taxes or how much government spends and whatnot. And uh, monetary policy is essentially like like they control how much money is circulating the economy, like how much actual kroners or how many dollars. All right. And like interest rates. So how much you have to pay to take out a loan in the loanable funds market, right? Okay. And so as a monetarist, I don't think that fiscal policy is very effective. This is due to like monetary offset or like... Uh, economic crowding out which essentially fiscal policy doesn't really work to get out of the business cycle which and i believe the monetary policy through like the extension of expansionary monetary policy like printing more money or contractionary monetary policy as in like taking away money from the economy through different uh uh through different ways like lowering or hiring interest rates open market operations where people can buy and sell government bonds and securities yeah, so I believe in monetary policy is a lot more effective than fiscal policy. All right, makes sense. Um, one of the points that I actually wanted to bring up, because I, I wanted to talk about this economics with you. All right. I, uh, I know you're interested. But how exactly can this impact your average Joe, right? Uh, or, or us. or Because we talk a, a, quite a bit about business here. Yeah. 
and like our ideas, no podcast idea. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but how could those uh, policies and those views actually impact in daily operations, daily life, whatever? Well, I mean, like economics is the study of the allocation of scarce resources with alternate uses, right? So All everything right. you do is economics. Every time you buy something, every time you sell something, that that is economics. You don't even have to buy or sell. Just anytime you make a decision. Yeah, no. Economics is essentially the, uh, the human art of making decisions. Exactly. It's like human action that is translated into currency, yeah. currency into trade, and all that stuff. And it's extremely important to grasp both economics and like business administration to really understand uh, uh, the best way to live. Yes. So economics and business is incredibly related because both of them uh, affect each other, right? And what do you find so interesting within economics? Well, economics is kind of like a whole different way of viewing the world. So like a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to study economics or learn economics. And I feel that economics gives like a really good insight in how the world works. You have a lot, like a lot of people have this like fallacies and like this like misunderstanding of how economics works like oh why can't we just uh, have free healthcare for everyone it's going to be free right yeah. but then you economics really helps you understand since everything is scarce and everything has alternate uses it's all about like finding the best ways to use those scarce resources the distribution of resources and services yeah exactly so economics matters a lot even for those who don't care it's like the quote um you might not be interested in economics, but economics is interested in you. You get what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I that do. does make sense. Yeah, <laughs> not that, now that you put it in that way. But yeah, David, I, I actually want to know some of your input after he spoke for a bit. Daniel uh, here. Because you don't take economics like us. No. So uh, may, maybe tell us a little bit of what you know for now. Uh, not much or not what? much like only like basic stuff like okay which you learn through for example like our stores like drop shipping stores yeah um i mean you learn basic economics you know it's like how the economics for the company works and stuff yeah but otherwise i don't know much about economics cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i can say that i'm the opposite of uh, david daniel i mean I uh, I believe in the Keynesian theory because it's I find it more fair towards other people. The way that Daniel sees it is more of a pure capitalist view, with very little government intervention, which usually leads to people being put in vulnerable positions and not getting the help that they need. For example, healthcare. So if everything was purely monetarist, uh, the theory. Uh, we wouldn't have free healthcare. We wouldn't have help with healthcare. We wouldn't have free transport. We wouldn't have free schools. Everything would cost the same way you'd pay for um, uh, a car or uh, buying your own food. Everything would cost healthcare. Uh, you know, education. Everything. And I, I don't know. I don't think that's the best way to distribute resources because I feel like some people have a higher uh, have a better chance of capturing more of these goods and it'll leave some people behind and they won't have a chance eventually. They'll sort of just die out. That's a dream, right? No, I'm, 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 I'm joking. That's okay. yeah, yeah, sorry, Daniel. I, I think that, um, sure, I mean, like, in the short term, transitioning from the welfare society that we live in, in which education and healthcare is free, 
I, I, I think that uh, market-based systems are better. Like, for example... Like Hong Kong? Yeah, like Hong Kong's pretty based, my guy. If you want rapid economic growth and if you want wealth to be uh, more evenly distributed throughout the society, a free market is the best way to do that. And we can see that through uh, the Gini coefficient, which essentially measures income inequality. It's lower in countries with freer markets. And uh, if we look at uh, things like economic growth and if we look at standards of living and if we look at uh, uh, like life expectancy and access to food and security, countries with relatively freer markets tend to be better in all those things. I think that there is a case to be made for things like healthcare and education to be government subsidized. But I believe that market solutions are uh, that are subsidized by government is better than having like purely public schools or a purely uh, public health care system. Like, for example, in Sweden, we actually have a freer, quote unquote, like schooling system than like America does. Because in Sweden, we have a thing called the voucher system in which there's a lot of private schools, but that uh, the government pays for that school. For your admission to it yeah for every student they get a set fee exactly and i think that it's through this choice of the free market that both parents and students uh, end up receiving a better education sweden has one of the best uh, education systems in the world it's only the reason why we score pretty low in the pisa test is because uh, our like curriculum is actually pretty bad well, yeah what is that pisa test the, the pisa test is essentially like a world like academic test for like high school students and like primary and elementary school like international SATs or yeah exactly something oh, like okay, that okay okay so yeah. it's not like a they standardized test can you use them for application in other countries no 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 PISA test is purely a uh, it's like the national exam they have in Sweden it's purely for like the government countries right? basically right? it's purely to yeah. rank countries yeah so currently like the United States technically has it scores higher on mathematics and science than we do that's not weird though I mean Sweden mathematics isn't really focused very on that highly poor. Yeah. yeah very poor so I think our school system is really great because it's kind of market-oriented. Schools compete for each other uh, for students, and students get to choose which school they would like to go to. Like, you know, Yimnal Yeah. Mm-hmm. That That's an example of a free market. Well, not free market, but that's an example of a market, right? So Sorry, yeah. what, what is that? Yimnal Semesam. Yeah. It's like when you go to... Uh, yeah, it's like to uh, find, uh, you go to... It's like, a big fair with different schools, oh, secondary yeah, level education schools, and they yeah. try to... Uh, recruit like uh, students etc by mm. offering them uh, just a show of what their school you know has to offer basically. exactly and and that's literally a market right yeah okay but um if we if we take it from like the the ground level okay um if i a, i don't know let, let's just say that i'm a business owner yeah right why would it be better for me uh to have a free market, yeah, right, with a choice, yeah, uh, than for the government to take care of that part of the. Well, system. because you wouldn't be a business, uh, you wouldn't be a businessman if uh, there wasn't a free market, right? Uh-huh. You could, you could still be. Well, you would be more like a commissar, you know, system administrator of a certain sector of the economy. Not really. Or what do you mean? Like you mean from the entrepreneur's point of view. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. I mean, you'd still be running your company, etc. But you wouldn't have full control over what you do, and that's that's what I think is. Oh, I important. thought I, I thought you meant like a centrally planned economy. No, no I meant like a more of a. No, it means in your view. Oh, like, more like Keynesian. Keynesian. Yeah. I thought you were talking to but Daniel. Why don't we? No, no I I was uh, trying to poke holes on Daniel's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's, well. if it's 
more just Tunisian. try to play devil's advocate okay. yeah. wait one sec why don't we explain like what the free market is like what's the sure, difference yeah exactly i mean so, uh, yeah. actually just one thing guys david please remind us because you're our voice that doesn't know uh well as much from the topic i, I don't know as much as them yep. but uh if you don't understand understand something chances are they probably won't either so remind you're us good, you're a good like uh, reference point yeah. Okay. You're the audience. All right. So I can explain neoclassical, or I can explain like monetarist uh, theory, or like a free market is essentially in which goods and goods and services their prices are determined through supply and demand. Okay. Their prices are determined uh, solely by the free market, as in suppliers are willing to supply X amount of something for X amount of money, yeah. and buyers are willing to buy X amount of something for X amount of money. What drives that? What do you mean? What drives that? Well, I mean. Yeah, you can explain what drives the actual demand and what drives oh, okay. like, what price they'll sell at. It's yeah. the perceived value of the good from both parties. Yeah. So essentially, uh, prices are determined by agreeable uh, agreeable prices that each party agrees to. Right. So that's a purely free market. Mm -hmm. And then you can introduce other stuff like taxation or subsidies or other types of legislation. That uh, affect the free market. So since I'm a neoclassical market, but that would no longer be a free market. Though. Well, it would be a free market, but like a free market is uh, not a completely free market. No, of course not. It's relative. Yeah, right. Everything in economics is relative. Exactly. So like even me as monetarist, I don't believe in a completely free market. Like I, I don't believe that police and the court system and yeah. national defense should be a quote unquote free market. Yeah. Okay. I believe in a government, but I believe that in most things and to a very large extent, uh, I believe in laissez-faire capitalism. That the government should keep their hands off uh, uh, market Private operations. Business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Basically, uh, the Keynesian way of looking at it is uh, opposite. Where they consider that uh, they have these different theories, right? So, monetarist has one theory, and the Keynesians have one theory. So, basically, in the Keynesian theory, you they justify having government intervention by saying that, well, in our theory. Um, a an economy would do better off with government intervention because uh, normally you have the business cycle, right? Which basically GDP, gross domestic product, goes up. Eventually, it hits a point where it over can't, time, right? Over time, exactly. That, that's the business cycle. Yeah, and yeah, eventually, it goes like this. Yeah, but eventually, it hits a point where it can't really get any bigger because, I mean, I can throw as much money as I want at you. Else, do this job, do this job. For the productive so, capability. Yeah, like yeah. eventually, no matter how much money you throw at it, you can't produce anymore. That's where we get inflation. So when we get inflation, usually the government comes in with policies such as um, lowering um, interest rates, etc., which will then lead back down, slightly reducing the GDP, and lead into a almost recession deflationary gap. So we start getting a bit of deflation. And then it goes back up. So it's sort of the same, but we believe that the government should be there to help the economy get back on track. Well, I think that um, most monetarists actually believe that government is the cause of the business cycle through bad monetary That's policy. True. But Daniel, That's what true, does yeah. your theory like entail? Like, where where do you draw the line? Basically, like, where how much 
um, intervention, intervention? Yeah. or like how much should the government well that's kind of like uh, there's uh, so many aspects yeah there, it, it's really subjective and it obviously depends differently on which country but what is it about is it like policies like so laws or is it more taxes or well, like essentially monetarists believe that there should be as low taxes as possible mm -hmm. and there should be as few laws as possible okay because regarding businesses exactly private businesses. because if you know the normal supply demand mm -hmm. if you kind of translate that to the economy like the macroeconomics macro economy the entire economy you have a thing called aggregate supply and aggregate demand which is like the total supply of the economy and the total demand of the economy so for every tax and for every law and for every regulation you kind of restrict aggregate supply and you restrict aggregate demand, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes more expensive to sell things or it becomes more expensive to buy things. And so the total output of the economy is lower than it would have been in that uh, free market. And since um, both Keynesians and neoclassicals or monetarists can agree that a uh, higher GDP is desirable, gross uh, domestic product, which is essentially the total output of the, the economy, I think that um, as a laissez-faire capitalist, I want as low taxes and I want as little regulations as possible. Okay. Yeah. Um, just taking a detour here, because uh, I know you mentioned to me, uh, Daniel, once that one tax that you would have would be uh, like um, at least a sort of carbon tax, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I support a carbon tax. So, uh, so for you too, this goes for you too. Yeah. Well, this one is because it's a sort of a demerit sort of thing you know petrol is sort of a demerit good it's a market failure yeah so basically yeah. a demerit good is something that's over consumed and overproduced yeah, okay. if left to the free market yeah the reason why it's overconsumed and overproduced is because the demand is and the, the demand and supply is higher than what it should actually be With then it's equally optimal level. exactly yeah. and it's because when you go to buy petrol yeah you don't consider the effects that don't involve you yeah you only consider uh, you only have your own perceived value of it yeah so petrol i can get to work i can drive my car yeah but you don't take into account the whole the environment is gonna like kill us all and that's gonna cost money yeah that increases the actual cost for society mm -hmm. as a whole which leads to market failure yeah. So stuff like that, otherwise it'd be overconsumed, overproduced, yeah. and would have serious trouble. So there's a concrete example where even monetarists want some policies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so essentially, monetarists accept market failures, and that's one of the reasons why I believe in a government, is that uh, their goal is to uh, diminish market failures. So for example, if you look at the case of carbon emissions, if you look at things like oil, uh, I support a carbon tax, which is essentially you put a price on per ton of carbon and you tax that for natural resources. So for example, you can say that if you take one barrel of oil, you can calculate how many tons of uh, carbon emissions that's going to create. And then therefore you can count, let's say if we put $40, uh, uh, if we put $40 per metric ton of carbon, then you can say, okay, a barrel of oil will therefore be taxed per unit $13 more. Uh, because um, when you buy oil, you're buying it, let's say, for $13, mm -hmm. right? But And that's the private cost. But then the cost to wider society, because you bought that oil and because you used it, becomes, let's say, $20. Because that extra $7... Let's say you have to plant trees or something to offset the carbon dioxide Yeah, emissions. exactly. Okay, yeah. So uh, this is a really good way to fight climate change through this carbon taxation. And because of this carbon tax, you could start replacing other forms of taxation with that as well. Yeah. So the more you drive or basically the emissions, the more emissions 
like you have yeah so the more the more you pay the more oil you buy yeah the more you would pay okay and so this is a good way to kind of incentivize both uh consumers and producers mm -hmm. to stop buying oil and stop producing oil and kind of switch over to greener technologies yeah cleaner technologies exactly have you heard about the carbon tax that canada has yeah i support it do you guys support it yeah both yeah. how yeah. is it uh, it's actually really interesting because the way that canada does it is that it's not really a tax it's more like what they do is that they tax you the money. So let's say you pay $300 a year through carbon taxes, but then they return that $300 to you at the end of the year to your tax Which tax I don't returns. agree with. Why? I don't agree with uh, tax returns being done once a year because, oh, okay. I mean, if you think of it, right, so they take money from you. Let's say they've taken 100 kroner or $100 or whatever, yeah. 100 currencies from <laughs> you, right? 100 units. Uh, and they owe you this money back. Yeah. But... They keep the money until, let, let's say you got it at the start of the year, so they keep the money until a year later, right? Yeah, yeah. When you get your tax return. The only thing is that money has just been sitting in the bank uh, and they don't give you the interest on it. Yeah. So you've lost money due to inflation. Yeah. Or if you're lucky, there was a deflationary period and you've earned money. But that's, that's not bad for everyone else. It's bad for everyone, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. It's exactly. even bad for you as well. It'd yeah. be bad for pretty much everyone. Uh, but you know what they do in the EU? No. We don't have a... Uh, we do have a sort of carbon tax. A cap and trade. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, yeah. Uh, for example, if you take the airplane within the EU, yeah, it will have the same effect on the climate as if you would have taken the train. Yeah. Now, not directly, but indirectly, because when you take the airplane, right, yeah. you produce a certain amount of CO2. Yeah. So that CO2 has to be taken from other industries then because we have a cap. Yeah. So they basically trade how much CO2 that uh, they're using. Yeah. So it will always hit that same level. Exactly. No matter how many people fly, it'll just be taken from other industries that don't get to use this then. Exactly. But I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think flying should be... No, I don't think flying should be taxed. Own, yeah. I don't because you know flying only like produces around one point five percent of the carbon emissions in the world. Wait, really? Yeah, uh, it, I always I always hear that like uh, flying on an it's so airplane bad for you, is but so it's bad. Really yeah. Not. Yeah, it's, it's not. really not. I mean, if okay. you compare, okay, here here's a great example. Just I remember this from reading a book or something. So the fifteen biggest freight uh, yes. freight container ships in the mm -hmm. world, yeah, each per year, yeah, produce fifty million cars yeah. worth. Of emissions, yep. each wow. fifteen of the biggest ones, and, and I also read another statistic. If you take the top twenty biggest uh, cargo ships, they produce more CO two every year than all cars used combined in an entire year. Wow! And that that's because uh, cars, right? They become cleaner, even though they still use fossil fuels. They use like more refined versions of petroleum, right? Yeah. Yeah. While uh, these really big ships, they use like straight up crude oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they produce a shit ton of CO2. Because they need so much power and to yeah. drive. And international waters as well. So they, they don't, yeah. Even less regulation. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, I think we do need cargo ships. I just think this whole... But the, there are better options, right? Yeah, but I think the number one thing that we should be focusing on right now is shutting down oil and coal power plants yeah, and replacing them definitely. with nuclear Did power. Did you guys know that China still gets 55% of its electricity from coal? Yeah, but they're building a load of dams in China. They're building like yep. the biggest ones in the world. The yep. Three Gorges Dam produces like... 23,000 mega it's, kilowatts. It's still not enough. It's not enough. No. By the way, speaking of that, have you guys, you know, the like the protest here in Gothenburg yeah, like two there. days ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. As well. There was um, one last week as well. Like, really? fucking yeah, communist. Okay, anyway, there are like a lot of protests, uh, protests and yeah. stuff. 
um, but they don't really always come up with like a solution. No, like, no, well, they, they, they just don't. Yeah. Bitch about it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, I agree. No, okay, so, so uh, what's, talking yeah. about this, what what do you think is the number one thing we should eliminate, like within wh- like the CO two emissions? Like, what is the best thing to eliminate? Let's ask everyone. Let's get a real. Yeah. What, what, do, you, what do you think? think? <laughs> oh my God, me okay, first. If you were dictator of the world, yeah. what is okay. the what, what is the pretty what, much is? Yeah. <laughs> what is the number one policy you would do to fight climate change? See, it's a hard question, right? Um, well, uh, being me, I actually don't know much about it. So, um, it, the the text you you talked about, like the the increasing level of uh, of consumption, taxes you uh, taxes you more, could be a solution. But I I'm no politician. I don't know. All right, what do you think? Um, I think the number one is promoting nuclear energy and other yeah. renewable sources of okay, energy. Okay. Because yeah. right now, the energy uh, industry is what releases the most CO2 in the world. So if we are able to transition away from fossil fuels and from coal and from uh, all these other like non-renewable forms, forms of energy and replace it with wind power and solar power, uh, hydroelectric and nuclear, I think that already then. Yeah. So much better. Yeah. Okay. J- just before you speak, Casper, uh, one thing that I, <laughs> sorry, well, one thing that I actually am interested in is uh, if um, you, you can take turns on this as well. But do you believe that it's better to uh, punish people to then make them not uh, like punish, like for example, a tax or something, to make them um, consume less, uh, whatever? pollutants or is it better to promote uh cleaner en- energy and cleaner cleaner um, it does pollution? both it does you, you both both, yeah. both but which one uh, it does both the first one does both yeah yeah taxes yeah, both do, both. do both no but yeah. uh, i'm just asking which one do you think is more efficient both both yeah you need both. <laughs> like for example uh, they, they don't they don't they go hand in hand so you know the european union technically still subsidizes coal all right how well, they give money to coal uh, generators, yeah, especially Pol- uh-huh. in Germany. Yeah, Germany and Poland still use a shit ton of coal to produce electricity. And you know why Germany uses so much coal? Because they shut down their nuclear power plants. Yep. And why coal is two thousand three hundred thirty percent. It's all about uh, like more like oh sorry, it, it produces two two thousand three hundred thirty percent more carbon emissions per like uh, kilowatt hour. Uh huh. Yeah. So nuclear power. So much cleaner. Yeah, no, but uh, uh, for but, for those people that like uh, have the the outlook of uh, oh yeah, nuclear power is dangerous and um, it's unsafe. Nuclear power kills less people every yeah. year than wind power. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. what do you think? Like, yeah, for example, sure. the number one reason Germany is shutting down their nuclear power political power. interests. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, people are scared of nuclear power. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a sort of stigma around nuclear power, and it isn't very positive at all. Yeah, due to these sort of right? disasters, yeah. especially the so the one in Japan. I think that one really pushed Fukushima, the. Right? Yeah, they yeah. pushed a lot of people. That was so to shut dumb. Down. I mean, like, who builds a fucking nuclear reactor? At the shore of a place that is prone to tsunamis and earthquakes. Yeah, that's just not smart. So, yeah, and like I mean, like and I mean, they do need it as well because they need a massive course. amount of water. Of course. At the same time, though, they can't use salt water in their uh, machinery because it'll all rust. So I don't see oh, why really? they were right next to the ocean. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. However, Japan, I mean, it is an island surrounded by keep, ocean. <laughs> and then people keep citing the Soviets as a reason not to have nuclear power. Yeah, it's which like, is it's so, so dumb. The Soviets, they, the only reason Chernobyl happened 
was because the Soviets cheaped out on their design. They used uh, for their uh, cooling rods or like the rods that slow things down mm -hmm. in like the yeah. reaction, keeping it from a meltdown. Yeah. They put at the absolute tip, they put, uh, oh, what was it called now again? Graphite. Yeah, they put graphite. As a moderate. Right? Yeah. yeah. But, but graphite, the only reason why they put graphite uh, cheaper. at the tip is because it's cheaper yeah. and it's the cheapest material that could handle those temperatures. But graphite is not a moderator. It exaggerates the uh, no, atom is a, splitting. No, it is a moderator. No, it doesn't. Isn't it? No, it, it exaggerates it. So when these things first went in, when the actual tubes went in, because they were going oh, into yeah. meltdown, they put the tubes in. First thing that comes in is something that exaggerates it, which caused the it exaggerated so much that it caused the actual tubes to like fuse together. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't push the moderator in. Yeah, which left it in a meltdown state. I I think I remembered that because I uh, we looked at that in physics class. I recommend watching I bet, the series. Yeah, I just yeah, the you series. Yeah, I bet the you series is the really good. Really good. Uh, if you if you guys haven't watched it, Chernobyl and HBO. Yeah. Yeah. Not sponsored, but it's a really good Re series. Recommend yeah. sponsor us. Sponsor no, us. Please do. HBO, yeah. hit us up. Yeah. Yeah. Never trust a socialist to build a nuclear reactor. <laughs> no, go. but uh, from what I heard, it's because um, uh, it's, at least to me, it's a bit confusing because there is a moderator and like the, the stuff that actually slows down the reaction, right? Because uh, the that's the moderator. Uh, are you, because like there's something that, um, slows down the particles so yeah, the reaction the picks up, yeah. right? No, no, yeah? it's, no, it slows... It's the moder moderator. No, the moderator slows it down so the reaction slows down. It doesn't pick up. No, no, no. It wasn't it that uh, the particles have to slow down so they hit more times? No. So the protons... Yeah, they split more times and then they can no, no, create no, the chain no, reaction. No, no, I don't no, think no. that. No. So the whole thing was that this whole thing that went in was yeah. perfect. It was perfectly fine, right? Except that at the bottom... Where they needed, like, uh, it needed to be able to handle a lot of heat or something. They chose a very, very inexpensive material called graphite. Graphite is actually used within the core of the reactor. Isn't graphite used for pencil lead? Yeah, yeah I think so too. Yeah. But, yeah, it but, is. It is. But, what, but it's a different form, I'd say. Like a different. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But graphite is like, it exaggerates the process. Yeah. Uh, but okay. the rest that came after. That, yeah. that, that would no, have slowed that, it down, but it didn't come all the, the way The control rods are made of another material that yeah. actually slows down the reaction. Yes. Right? Uh, but this graphite that they had a tip that mm -hmm. first went in, the first yeah. thing yeah, that yeah, went yeah, in, yeah. that actually exaggerates it. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I, I think I've seen a couple YouTube videos on that as well. But You yeah. just watched the Chernobyl HBO and you're uh, an expert at uh, okay, no, atomic yeah, no, physics. I, I, I watched a video like not debunking, but like explaining exactly what it was. Because apparently it wasn't just a tip. It was like half of the rod oh, was graphite. It was half the rod. Yeah, the ha half the rod. So they, they moved the entire rod, so they got the control rod. Yeah. I don't know. How about we go back to the original? Yeah, we were talking about economics, right? I'm, <laughs> for, I'm for nuclear power. Yeah? Yeah, yeah because, okay. I mean, it's... What, why it's, is it not dangerous and why should people it was believe dangerous. in it? It's yeah, so, yeah, no, it's very but dangerous. Uh, why is it less dangerous? Is it just statistics? Or why does it kill less people? Is okay. it just because there is less? Well, okay. Explain. Picture this, right? We keep on using fossil fuels. We keep on having wars for fossil fuels. Our environment kills us. No matter what, we can't stop the environment with our technology. Mother Nature is king. Um, so we either do that and we certainly die. Yeah. Or we use this... I wouldn't say that nuclear power is still experimental. 
No, but it's we, definitely not. Yeah, it's like it's not. I mean, look at the not, look no. at what we have in Sweden. Our nuclear power plants are so safe, but they're still shutting some of them down. Like the one that's 15 minutes away from here. Yeah, they've shut down two out of four reactors or something. It's like really that dumb for no and reason, and it's all because of political reasons. Yeah, and what takes taken up instead? It's fossil fuels making our problems worse. Exactly. But with nuclear power, as if everyone starts going for nuclear power. We could probably hit our um, goal of not increasing the temperature by 1.5 degrees. Yeah, easily. Yeah. Also, because you could have a nu- you could have a nuclear powered container ship, mm. right? Then you wouldn't have yeah. any false. Sure. Those 50 million cars per 15 container ships, right? Biggest mm. in the world. Mm. You wouldn't have that problem. No. All right. And uh, going a little bit back to uh, economics, one thing that I I want to touch on was um, uh, probably a recurring topic. Especially uh, among like regular people, because it directly affects them, right? Uh, you guys mentioned inflation and deflation, disinflation, yeah. all of that. How does that work, both in both of your views, like, and and especially how uh, you would fix it? it I works. think you you mentioned it, yeah. Uh, just to make it completely clear, like, like and uh, just for me to finish, um, how could each of those policies affect me as a person. Yeah. Okay. What's the difference? To so me? I mean, it works the same way. It's just the solutions are different. Yeah. So, and there's another thing that's different in his view, in Daniel's view, in the monitor's view, they can actually produce more than their uh, highest possible GDP for a short uh, period of time. Yeah. which is something that I don't really understand how. It's more about how the actual graph is laid out and how their theory revolves around it. Yeah. But what they do is they try to act on uh, aggregate supply yeah. in order to shift in and out of uh, inflation and deflation in order yeah. to equalize it. While in the monetarist view or in the Keynesian view, you act on aggregate demand yeah. because we believe that aggregate demand drives it all. Um, and drives it through the different stages. So for Daniel and the monetarist view, what they would do is act on AS, which would be uh, it would be stuff like investment. Yeah. Uh, it'd be like government regulations. Yeah. Um, for us, Wait, it'd be more we consumer spending. Right? Yeah. yeah. Supply side policies? So, yeah. So I'm essentially a supply sider, and I've been so for like a couple of years now. Okay. Like, yeah. Like uh, before, like all like, econ and even all safe and stuff but uh, i've been a supply sider for quite a long time and that's because i believe that a uh, long-run aggregate supply is uh, completely vertical if you're going to talk about the model so if you yeah. were so in my view uh, just uh, one thing before yeah. for, for those that don't know like uh yeah. how does like a normal supply and demand graph look like and aggregate demand aggregate supply and then like long run and, and then short you runs introduce yeah exactly yeah because yeah. i like we we got to Starting the absolute beginning, yeah, like, yeah. but that, but that doesn't really summary. matter. Like, that doesn't really matter. You don't have to yeah, talk about the model. It's not really important okay. unless you're working with my, it. You're trying well, to solve something. Exactly. So, in my view, if you increase aggregate in aggregate demand, you will result in only inflation. Okay. Uh, so that is why, if you increase aggregate supply, you shift uh, the you shift the curve, the equilibrium of the market to the right. Okay. Which essentially means increasing uh, GDP mm-hmm. and lower price level. And the lower price level, uh, which is essentially how you would measure inflation. Okay, and price level is just the average. Uh, yeah, just price like of the average baskets of goods and services in the economy. But ba- a quote basket, right? Quote yeah. basket. But basically, this would lead to, well, I'd say it would lead to more 
uh, deflation than uh, uh, the Keynesian yeah, way of doing deflation it. Deflation or yeah. inflation? Deflation. Deflation. Yeah. Because okay. they're, I mean, they're they're turning out at a, a lower price level. Yeah. Uh-huh. But in an economy, uh, deflation is bad for about everyone, and the central banks do their absolute best yeah. to sort it out. Yeah. However, most of our uh, economies don't use the monetarist new classical view they, no most of them are Keynesian. yeah they use keynesian mm-hmm. uh so that's where this whole uh it's probably because they use the keynesian view that we have this problem with deflation yep. that can occur and that's probably why they have to solve it so they're sort of saying like they bring in problems with the government yeah. and the government solves the problems yeah. rather than not having the problems or the government to begin with yeah okay and uh just to just to make it absolutely clear, when it's deflation, uh, it means that prices are prices are going down. Decreasing. And like, uh, if I buy something, then uh, or if I borrow money, what does uh, what happens? No, so like you you let's say you have ten kroner now. Yeah. If we're yeah. in a deflation, your money will be worth more tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And the like other way around, if fifteen it's kroner, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But like, so a, inflation is pretty good for people in debt, but it's bad for lenders. And deflation is pretty good for people who are lenders, but really bad for people who are in debt. And the thing is, with okay. the reason why we don't want deflation is because yeah. uh, the aggregate demand is driven by investment. Yeah. Which also means that if it's worse for people to lend yeah. and worse for people to invest yeah. we're going to get less investment yeah. which yeah. will finally equal less aggregate demand which will equal a lower equilibrium point for the ADAS yeah. which will equal a lower just uh, bad, equilibri- bad all over. yeah a lower equilibrium um, gdp but, but, but the thing is that, like monitors actually still do care about aggregate demand okay like it's just also. we believe less so like for example Aggregate demand it represents like all the expenditure within the economy, right? So aggregate demand is essentially nominal GDP, the all of uh, expenditure, all of actual like buying in the economy, and uh, nominal GDP is really important, right? So monitors, while they focus more on supply side policies, because we think that uh, uh, a lowering price level is actually in the short run for a very short period, not the business cycle, mm-hmm. is more uh, favorable than a higher price level because wages are sticky and because nominal contracts are sticky, we believe that uh, you can still act on aggregate demand. It's just that aggregate supply is more, I, I guess, like sought after in the short term. Yeah. Okay. And, and bringing up this thing about sticky prices, etc., the sticky prices wouldn't occur if we were in a purely uh, monetarist view because sticky prices yeah, exactly. are all about you know, minimum uh, wage and stuff that don't really change. Yeah. And in the Keynesian view, the reason why we find that we want and have to have the government is because with sticky prices, right, uh, the price level has a harder time decreasing, uh, which means that for the economy to come back to an equilibrium, yeah, uh, you have to do something either with the AD or AS or the price. Yeah. Uh, and that's hard to do if prices are sticky, and therefore we need uh, government intervention. Just to make sure, just to explain sticky prices. And what yeah, because that, that, that kind of a, okay, so, a so, question mark. So, so something. So uh, there are some prices in the economy that have a really hard time uh, adjusting. Mm-hmm. For example, wages. Since you have yep. wages that are pretty long term, and you sign contracts, wages are kind of determined on like nominal numbers, right? So they don't really adjust with the economy. 
So for example, most people sign contracts for like two, three years or one or two years, right? Which says that for every month I will be paid X amount. And since um, wages have a really hard time adjusting because of these contracts and because of minimum wage laws and because of like labor unions who say that you cannot pay us less than this. In a deflationary period in the economy when prices are lowering, that means that uh, the prices of things that the manufacturers are selling lower, but yet the cost of labor uh, stays the same. Yeah. And so, therefore, a lot of businesses uh, get driven out of business, and a lot of uh, firms uh, end up going bankrupt. Yeah, and it, it's, okay. it's because, I mean, consumers, they still have to, uh, they have their money, right? They have that, and then... When you bring in inflation, etc., it ends up being the manufacturer that pays more for labor and the labor paying less for the products, yeah. which just leads to less circulation in yeah. the economy, yeah. which in a way, circulation is the key to GDP growth. Okay. Yeah, G guys, we're coming up in a short break, so I, yep. I just wanted to pass the mic to David. Yeah, I feel like this is all turned to him because um, right. uh, my main oh. question to you, David, is actually like, did you get all of that? Uh, <laughs> Not and, all of, and it, what, some what, of it. What can you, uh, from what you got, what can you take away from it? Uh, I mean, basically everything, because uh, I don't know a lot about this. I've been sitting here listening to everything because I don't have a lot of things to add. I don't know a lot about this, but uh, I did learn a lot. Basically, everything you talked about was new for me. That's good. So, yeah. All right. But like uh, from uh, what we briefly spoke about, especially with Daniel, like uh, how this could affect the average person and uh maybe the business owner, entrepreneur, whatever. How do you think that affects you as a business owner, yourself? I mean, for me, basically, I think the theories, those are the things that could, like, basically determine, like, how my business works and, like, what I need to think about. For example, Daniel's theory. Yeah. What was it called? Uh, monetarism. Yeah, exactly. That, that's basically more, like, free market, right? Yeah, that'd so, be better for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Basically... And then Casper's theory would be worse. For I don't know exactly like for, what. For yeah, exactly for me specifically. I don't know exactly what that entails. Like what kind of laws or policies? But basically, mine, mine is better. Mine is better. Mine is <laughs> all right. I right. was gonna say that. No, but mine like, is better uh, and mine is bigger. Put, from what I understand, <laughs> less uh, intervention, more intervention. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. that's it, right? So like basically. more intervention means more taxes to you, but it could also mean yeah. more subsidies. Exactly. Which are, Subsidies, you, you know what that is, right? Mm -hmm. The opposite of tax. So that is basically how this would affect me currently. Well, I mean, like, now. everything in economics affects everyone in every single way. Everything from the things you pay for, to the things you buy, to the things you sell, to your wages, is all affected by government policy. And it's You're all investing. Affected. Exactly. And, it, and it's all affected by monetary and fiscal policy. So economics matters a lot. Yeah, and it depends who you are as well. You know, yeah. this might this theory might benefit some people, and Daniel's theory might yeah, exactly. Sort, sort of depends on where you have your um, what basket you put your eggs into. Yeah, if yeah. You're exactly. a really big employer, you know, you might be okay. Let, let's go free market. You know, lower taxes, more profit. Yeah. But if you were just a worker, you know, you have very little savings, etc. Less taxes and less help mm -hmm. will. Because basically, the way a progressive tax system is meant to work is you take more from the rich so that you can give more to the poor, 
the people that have less, so you try to equalize it out. The problem is that when you have a monetarist view, you don't really take more from people. So you're left with some people not having uh, healthcare, for example. They don't have enough money for healthcare. Uh, and, but it's the opposite in the other one. So it depends on where you're at. Well, I think okay. that there's really easy solutions. You can have a monetarist society, but then essentially you can have some government programs like yeah. the universal basic income. Uh -huh. And I think that actually in a free market in which the supply of healthcare and the supply of education isn't hindered through taxation and regulation, you could probably still meet like... Yeah, universal basic in income is just like uh yeah you get a, a you get basic a um, like everyone has the same amount of income everyone yeah. gets but uh, but I don't support UBI money. I support NIT which is negative income tax which okay. is like uh, for example that, I don't yeah. believe in giving free money to rich people no I think that not. no so it's like I I wouldn't want to give a thousand dollars a month to Bill Gates but essentially I believe that I believe in giving like let's say two thousand dollars month minimum to someone. And let's say if they make $1,000 a month, then they get $1,000 extra. And as yeah. they reach $2,000 a month, then they wouldn't get anything. So okay. it's only for those people who actually are at the very bottom. So everyone has like a, a minimum bottom. salary. So, so yeah, exactly. it's a yeah, bottom ground. And you can say but, that's like a social security net. Yeah. Uh, the, again, trying to play devil's advocate. I've, try, I've been trying to do that with both of your uh, views. But on yours, Casper. Um, you said that Here it's better defense to mode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> defense mode. Now, on the the case of um, let's say taxing the the rich. Tetois. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm joking. No. Um, if like a person chooses to actually spend their whole life to increase their wealth, right? I'm not saying inherit it, right? I'm saying I don't know what you call self-made, right? Uh, and they get to the top, and uh, why uh, shouldn't they get paid as much as they work for? Or, uh, I guess, in the same level. Well, why should they be taxed more just because they have more money? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Why should Elon Musk, mm -hmm. who works, some people say he works 100 hours a week. Sure. So why should Elon Musk, who works 100 hours a week, make the salary equivalent to like 10,000 hours or something a week from his workers. Because Why his should labor he is more value. Why should he benefit from taking time? He's taking other people's time and he's benefiting from that. So why would that be fair? Because and people might say oh, he's an entrepreneur. He's giving people jobs and stuff. Yeah, no, but like that, the, that's fair. People don't have to go work for him, right? No, of course not. But it, it's, it's fair that he would get more because he's helping people, but I, I think it's there's that extreme wealth. No, that but you can the, get do you from think that. it has to be proportional every time? Well, I just no, think that. No, uh, please, Daniel. Well, since CEO prices and CEO wages are also like set by the free market, I just think that it has to do with the fact that his labor is ten thousand times or whatever, how many x amount of times more valuable than a normal worker. There's not a lot of people in the world that can actually uh, do what Elon Musk does. Mm -hmm. He's a brilliant guy who comes up with lots of innovations, and he works really hard in uh, branding all these like different innovations and bringing it to the market. That's why we have Tesla. That's why we have solar roofs. That's why you have like all these new solar panel technologies. Yeah. And so I think that his creative labor and his innovative labor is so many X amount of times more valuable than someone who works in one of his factories. Anyone, almost anyone can work in a factory. Not anyone can be an Elon Musk. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah like, uh, he, it's not like he got it for free, right? It's no, not like he, not. Yeah. he won true. the lottery and he just became Elon Musk, right? Yeah. yeah. 
So um, I, I believe people have to, uh, I don't mean that only certain people have that, but uh, those people have to have some sort of different drive, right? I mean, we could to talk get about, them up there. Yeah, we could talk about like ethics and stuff as well, you know, yeah. Kantian ethics, Kantian ethics yeah. or uh, utilitarian ethics, you know. Okay. So do you think that one, pers one person should be extremely happy and everyone else be extremely sad or everyone should be roughly the same? What do you think is the most, eth uh, most ethical? Well, uh, is that a question for me? It's just a theoretical question. I mean, I guess if everyone has the, the same opportunity to, to be as happy or, or to reach that full potential, yeah. then I think that's fair. Not that everyone is the same yeah. because everyone is different, yeah. right? That's, that's a fact. So I might not want to be as happy as you are just because, just because that's the way I am, right? But it doesn't, uh, I feel like it would be wrong for someone else to force us to be as happy. What? <laughs> you're, not being, you're not being forced to no, 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 not no, pay not for forced, school. I'm sure if you want to pay for school here, you can pay for school. Man. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm, if we're just talking about happiness, right? If we're talking about happiness, okay, if we just if change, everyone, just change the word happiness to money or right? wealth. Yeah, okay. Change it to wealth. Yeah. So if we, to wealth, right. If we have the same ability, right, or, or the same opportunity to get the same amount of wealth. That is all what the Keynesian theory is about. Yeah, yeah, no, like, if I have the same opportunity as you, but in the end, we're not equal because I just didn't work enough. Is that still fair? Yes. Okay. That is fair. That, in your view? Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think everyone agrees with that. I think yeah. that both monetarists and Keynesians think that everyone should have equal opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It's but just it, that. It's just sometimes it's harder with the monetarist view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Because there's no government intervention and people well, do well, get left behind in an economy. Well, I mean, like, monitors aren't, like, anarcho-capitalists, right? So, okay. obviously, I, I still do believe in negative income tax. And, I, and I, to a uh -huh. certain extent, I believe in school vouchers. So I think that everyone should have access to somewhat the roughly same education. Okay. Right. It's just that I believe that the market system is the best way it's to kind sort of, of innovate. Opportun uh, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, I think that like with the advancement of recent technology, we don't really need soon in the future. We're not going to be going to the same schools that we have the past 300 years. Yeah. Okay. Like, it's going to be more efficient. Like how much does internet cost? Yeah, exactly. It's that, actually, I, I, months, I, I right? read about that. Why education is useless now and why it's outdated because we have the internet. We don't need to memorize stuff. We can find it out in seconds. Oh, yeah. I think what we should learn instead is how how to... We should learn how to learn and how to apply things mm. that we learn from like the internet. Yeah, I actually... Heard, rather than memorizing shit in school. Just wait, one second, David. All right, yeah. uh, I, heard, I think I heard from Elon Musk, actually, this one, uh, that I think it was him. He was saying that... Uh, people could already be considered cyborgs because we it's hard for us to leave like our phones right and uh, we don't have to be like uh, have like a physical connection with te technology just like having our phones here already gives us so much more information right uh, the only thing is efficiency right you, yeah. it's not as efficient as thinking about it because you have to open your pocket pull it up yeah have internet Right. But then, if if I were to tell you now, right? Yeah. You have two options. Sure. Okay. To so your goal is to uh, define um, I don't know. Let's say define perfectly the word. Um, 
I don't know. Anything. <laughs> Any, <laughs> just anything, right? Anything. All right. Uh, so you can either sit and try to memorize that word and try to learn it by heart. Mm-hmm. Or just have when phone. someone asks, so, so when someone asks you, you can yeah. just be like, yeah, yeah, I know. Or when someone asks you, you just pull up your phone and you Google it. Mm. What do you think is going to be quicker if you ca- take into account the time it took you yeah, to learn? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it, it is more efficient. Uh, I, I mean, in a short run, quote, short run, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, that's enough because, David, you, right, you last have to question say before Sorry, break. No, <laughs> yeah, no, we already went uh, oh, 10 minutes over yeah, yeah. The, the break. All right, last question. So you guys have pretty different theories but still agree upon a couple of things, right? Is it possible to run a country, for example, with combining these theories? No, that's uh, no. no. I mean, like, you why have, not? Why not? I mean, like, uh, for example, there's many different schools of monitors, many different schools of like Keynesians. Mm-hmm. So essentially, there's this specific school of thought called New Keynesianism, okay. which is kind of like a synthesis of monetarism and Keynesianism. So you have economists like Paul Krugman who are kind of monetarists and kind of Keynesians. So that exists, but to kind of run a country with both pure Keynesian ideology or monetarist ideology is kind of impossible. No, you cannot. You cannot have agree? a pure. You cannot have a pure. I mean, we have three market structures, yeah. right? We have uh, centrally planned or communist market structure. We have the laissez-faire, which is the free market, and then we have mixed economic uh, market systems. Yeah. So basically, mixed is what Daniel was just talking about. Yeah. Okay. And mixed is what most democracies have in the world what most countries have like, like most democracies tend to be more, like more free market mm-hmm. but they're definitely not a, like a purely free market okay. so they're somewhat mixed all right guys i think we have to take a break all right, all right. um i just want to conclude this segment by saying that this was a very short window or small window yeah. into economics yeah. both micro and macro uh, macro in the sense that we, we were talking about economies and stuff because it's like the various levels, right? So yeah. you go like macro, micro, and then like... You go theory of the firm. Uh, yeah, theory of the firm, whatever. But, and then you go business below that. You even. go business administration. Yeah, Which sure. I guess is a part of theory of the firm. Yeah, so sure. Uh, which is almost a part of micro, but yeah. it's a different yeah, thing. Course, yeah. But um, with all the, those perspectives, I, I think it's very important that we acknowledge that yeah, and it's a very different but very special way into looking at human relationships and interactions. Yeah. So with that, we're gonna take a break, and uh, we're probably gonna have a shorter uh, segment afterwards. All so right. See you guys in a, a bit. Guys, we're back. So I want to segue uh, with this break into right into debate. The big right. club, okay. Yeah, because uh, this is this is something um, I'm a noob at, and uh, here Daniel here, it's pretty good. He's the leader of, kind of the leader, I'm the leader. Self proclaim, not appointed, <laughs> appointed leader. Oh sure, of debate society in our school. Okay, Daniel, tell us a little bit of about debate. Why is it cool? Why is it not cool? Why do you like it? How'd you get into it? Oh, sorry. What's wrong with you? I I got into debate in IB1 at the beginning of high school because I saw someone give a presentation about it and I thought it was interesting. Yo, dude, what is it? First of all. A debate uh, is essentially... uh, Oh, sorry. It's... So it's essentially like a club, right? Mm -hmm. It's a meeting. You have it once a week and you you work on debating and you practice different debates in like specific rules and sets. You have two different teams and you debate over a motion, you know, 
opposition and proposition. And what we do is we go to tournaments. Okay. So essentially, the latest tournament I went to was in Copenhagen. So me and uh, HDS, the Vitfoske Debate Society, drove uh, down to Copenhagen and debated there against uh, 350 other people. Uh, I think it's like 40 other teams all over the world. So we debated against a Turkish team. We debated against Lithuania. We debated against Romania and Israel. And we debated against a, a Danish uh, uh, debate society as well. And it's really fun. Uh, you, it's less of you debating for your opinion, but more of you like having the ability to debate for a an opinion for an opinion. So they give you a topic, or they an give opinion, you a topic, or they give then, you they give you like a proposition. Like yeah. they'll say and uh, you're for or against exactly, right? and you okay. don't get to choose. All right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. like for example, should pod, podcast idea. Uh, sorry, should podcast idea be distributed? Yeah, so Whatever. you would have something Just like that, like, this house believes podcast ideas should be distributed, team proposition would be like, yes, and you come up with lots of arguments and lots mm -hmm. of, like, structured uh, nuances, and then team opposition would obviously argue against that. And it's a lot of fun because you really work on your public speaking, you really work on your, like, kind of, uh, the way your kind of mind works, how you would formulate arguments, your logical reasoning, and it's a lot of fun because it gets very intense. Because you can stand up there and you can start like really like not screaming, not yelling, like slandering someone. Yeah, yeah, no, for real. I, I'll tell you, I nearly made a girl cry at a debate tournament. <laughs> oh my <Wow>. god, <laughs> what do you know? No, for real, because like uh, there's this thing called uh, okay, so you can like rebut someone's argument. So th this is just counter. It's a so counter it's, it's a counter. What about personal attacks? <laughs> you cannot do personal. Okay. Attacks. You will <laughs> you will be like disqualified. Oh, okay, but you can say. Your team has presented no argument of substance thus far in the debate. Thus, we disqualify you from any like any qualifications of taking the debate whatsoever. Wow. None of your points have any substance to them. None of your points have any logical reasoning behind them. None of your points have any xxx whatever whatever. That must hurt. And, like, yeah. and <laughs> sometimes feeling yeah. that. And sometimes so, like, when you say that to like a new debater, that can really hurt because debating is really emotional. Because like sometimes you prepare for weeks in advance. And then have all your arguments and your entire team just destroyed. And it's all about how you express oh, yourself. Totally. As well. It's totally yeah. about that. It's like the different like styles. Exactly. Choices, right? Exactly. Uh, so what well you told us a little bit about that, but uh, why don't you go into specifics? How can that really help us? Especially like me and David that are in like a business type of thing. Yeah. Or uh, maybe even here, right? Yeah. How could public speaking really help us? So it's like, for example, uh, when maybe, you're in a business... Maybe bus even e economics. Sorry to cut you there. Yeah, no, but, but yeah. for example, uh, businesses, right? Let's say you're looking for investors and you need to like talk to an investment firm or you, let's say you need to get a bank and you need to get a loan. You need to give like an elevator pitch, right? Mm -hmm. What debate so persuasion, does... persuasion, Exactly. Maybe? So debate is all about persuading someone for an opinion that you have mm -hmm. or for something. And so what debate really does is it helps you with your rhetoric, the kind of language you use, how you use language, how do you articulate yourself how do you formulate the english like english dictionary to help support you and for example if or like for example marketing how do you market something how do you convince a consumer to buy your product it's all about that so like a lot of uh, lawyers for example a lot of business people tend to do uh, a lot of debate because it's a really useful tactic. Mm -hmm. I feel like they either do debating or they do some sort of re rhetorics course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. My friend is doing a rhetorics course in Amsterdam and totally. he's loving it. Totally. Yeah. I really mean, it's good. all about how to communicate it. It just helps uh -huh. you communicate your point exactly. better. Turning a no into a yes, right? Yeah, no, 100%. That's, yeah. All, uh, well, that's pretty much what marketing is about. Turning right? a no yeah. into a yes. And one of like the 
guess most beautiful things about debate mm-hmm. is that you have to argue most of the time for things you don't personally believe in. Yeah. yeah so you exactly. don't get to choose what you argue for, but you argue for something, which means that no matter if you truly believe in something or not, you get better at communicating and arguing for something. So as a you you are great at debating for uh, Keynesian. Yeah. So if uh, I had to, so if I had, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I had to debate versa, right? for Keynesian ideologies, I, I, you I would obviously, good. you have to be just as good, right? I'd obviously be good at debating for Keynesianism just as I would monetarism. I feel like that that is very valuable because, like, if you if you really know uh, the other the opposition yeah. of your ideologies, yeah. right? Uh, so well that you can actually argue for it, totally. then you actually have a ground to argue against it. One hundred percent. Right. I can definitely can see guys... this skill being useful. You know, in even every like day to day life. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Totally. All right. Yeah. No, but like, that's pretty much it. I just wanted to, uh, just to put that in there because uh, I think it's a uh, something that's cool that I'm learning kind of. Yeah. But you've learned for the past years, and uh, I think it's very valuable as well. It's actually yeah. really interesting. I didn't know that. So just like one more thing as well. Yeah, of course. It's like there was this one time when I was at a debate tournament in Stockholm, and there's this thing called point of information. Like when someone's giving a speech, you can actually stand up and say point of information. And then like the speaker can either say yes or no, and then you like you can argue against them for 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. So one time I was, I was giving this speech, right? And this girl uh, who was a bit younger than me, Stood a point of information, and I said, "No." I said, "No." Your team has absolutely nothing to contribute to this debate. Oh my! Something along those lines, because they were like really bad, right? (laughs) So that was kind of harsh, but technically that's allowed. Uh, Oh, so that's allowed. That's allowed. (laughs) Okay. Like you can say your team has nothing of substance to contribute. So I said no. Her teacher, after the debate is over, we win, of course. But her teacher, after the debate is over, comes up to us and says, "You know, I really don't think you should be uh, saying that to a young girl like that." That's really rude. I'm like, this is a debate tournament, man. Like, fuck off, bro. It's like, like, should I play at a lower skill level just because there are people who aren't aren't as experienced? Yeah, exactly. It's like, no. Yeah. Should Elon Elon Musk assume the role (laughs) of a janitor when he's actually super, super clever? Just just to be fair. (laughs) That's a terrible analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Elon Musk uh, might be a genius at cleaning. Facts. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, sure. He's going to be a Tesla great janitor, man. Facts. Great janitor. Okay. Look, there, there is a topic I, I think we can discuss. Okay. And this is something uh, at least me and Daniel are familiar with. And uh, we can uh, include you two guys in the, the discussion. This is something uh, we looked at in psychology class, okay. actually. Yeah. And that's if uh, it's... Uh, a little bit uh, philosophy, a little bit psychology, but altruism. Yeah, doesn't okay. exist. Doesn't exist. No. Why? Okay. Well, the de- wait, <laughs> let's just explain what altruism okay. yeah, exactly. is. Yeah, so Nick explained I, this to me, and I had no I, I, idea what he was talking about. So, so okay, altruism. So altruism is essentially, uh, in its purest form, is doing something for the benefit or the like a pro-social or helping behavior. For the benefit purely of another person mm-hmm. yeah. and no benefit to yourself. Yeah. So, so being, purely that is so purely selfless, which includes yeah. which includes emotion and like psychological. Mm-hmm. So which means that uh, you can help someone or do something for someone that makes you purely unhappy, that makes you lose material wealth, everything, and that you do not feel good at all for it. And I don't believe that's real. Mm. 
Yeah, when Nick explained this to me as well, I kind of agreed with him. There's also always this emotional part. You exactly. know, you always feel good. Exactly. What What would be the reason that you don't feel that way? Or yeah, is exactly. there? It's hard to argue for that, right? Yeah. Because we looked at some theories uh, in psychology class and all, and like uh, some of them, like at least I find them. Uh, I don't know. I don't really agree with them. Like for example. Uh, empathy, what are the altruism. Yeah, empathy altruism theory Emp uh, yeah so that says that if you feel empathy so uh, it doesn't exclude that there is um, behavior that is uh, selfish but it's still pro-social so you help people being selfish yeah they, they still acknowledge that but they say that real altruism uh, exists if you feel empathy for that person mm -hmm. but at the same time uh, like they define empathy in the grounds of like Oh yeah, if you relate to that person, right? Yeah. But if you relate to that person, doesn't that mean that you're thinking of yourself first uh, to think of like how you would feel in their shoes? Exactly. Right? So from the the ground off, you're already thinking of yourself. So essentially, it's like work? one of the theory kind of states that uh, you can have different levels of empathy for different people. Mm -hmm. So uh, and they've tested that uh, if. If you a complete stranger, you've never met them, you don't know them, but you know uh, that they believe in certain values that you believe in, you are more likely to be empathetic towards them. You're more likely to be altruistic, altruistic towards them. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's already saying, okay, but I'm being more altruistic and I'm being more empathetic to someone that's more similar to me. That means that I have thought in my mind that, oh, I like this person more. So yeah. the fact that you'd be more quote unquote altruistic to that person proves that there is at like the end of it a self motive. You get what I mean? Yeah, I do. So I don't believe that altruism as in purely doing something for the benefit of another and no benefit whatsoever to yourself. I don't believe that exists. Yeah, and the only was it the only other theory that we saw kin selection. Kin selection. Yeah, that's cost reward analysis. Cost reward as well. Uh, so kin selection. It's pretty much yeah. Um, no, uh, Mary's helping us today. And she's laughing in the background because uh, she takes psychology as well. And we just had a test. Uh, yeah, okay, moving on. Kin selection theory is uh, when you um, uh, help other people based on their genetic uh, similarity to you. Yeah. So it, I would be more... No, not like in a likely, race way, no, no, but it's in like, like a family way. No, okay, it's yeah. more likely for me to help my brother than my cousin. So like because helping your closer. kin. Although, although yeah. according to the Pilavin studies, people actually do help each other who are part of the same race more often. <laughs> so people are kind of racist. Kind of oh fucked God. up. It is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Okay. So that theory, it says it supports that uh, there is real altruism. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you think why you help those people, it's because they have your genes. So you're thinking of your genes as well. You're trying to spread your genes, my guy. Yeah, so like... <laughs> Spread your seed. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> so essentially saying that uh, those are part of your family who have closer genetic relations to you, you're more likely to sacrifice more for them. So you're more likely to sacrifice more for your brother and father because they share 50% genes with you than like a nephew who shares only 0.25%. What about your partner? Of 25%. Your partner, but that's the thing, right? Because I don't believe in kin selection theory either. Yeah, because it doesn't like you, you could be as close to your partner as like a brother yeah. or a, a sibling, you could, you right? You could hate right. your parents. Sister, like, for example, yeah, exactly. I'm not related to Nick whatsoever, right? But I would like, but I would like probably endure more pain or go through more for Nick than I would like a distant cousin, even mm -hmm. though I share more 
DNA with a distant cousin. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't really support that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's that's pretty much it. But uh, cost reward was the last cost one. Cost right? reward was essentially about every time before you help someone or commit to helping a pro-social behavior. Pro-social behavior is pretty much the same thing as being like uh, it's helping altruism, others. It's altruism, but it can come from a selfish. Uh, yeah background yeah so like you're helping that. people it's a behavior that helps other people or or a community yeah that's it cost reward essentially explains that uh you help people when the reward of helping someone else is larger than the cost and what they mean by reward is that you would feel better helping someone than you would feel bad not helping them so essentially for example if i see someone hurt in the street let's say i like that person the reward of me helping that would make me feel a lot better than the cost which is like spending my time to do so but let's say, for example, I see someone hurt on the street and I really hate that person. The cost would be nothing. I mean, the, the, the reward would be nothing. Why would mm-hmm. I want to help that person? The cost would be spending my time. Exactly. Yeah. Let, let them die. Yeah, let them die, bro. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm uh, joking. The cost would be death and that would probably be more for most people. Okay. What if you really hated them? Then, then you let them die. <laughs> <laughs> let them die, bro. We have presented evidence here for you today. So, well, Point of well, information. Well, yes. Well, no. what do you guys Nick think? does what, not what, contribute do to this conversation whatsoever. <laughs> yes, Casper. Okay. What? What? Not, not only you, Casper. Casper and David. What do you think? Because you don't take psychology. Uh, does that make sense to you? Yeah, very much. What? Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. hundred percent. Wait, wh- which one do you prefer? Yes. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. No. Do you believe in altruism? Real. I I, I believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. No, be serious now. Like, seriously. Do you believe that altruism exists? The people are selfless. They could be. Selfless? They could be selfless. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, parents, for example. But you, I mean, you could always come up with a counter-argument. Oh, they expect that you'll take care of them when they're old. And that's so true. No, no, no. Yeah, I keep that, on hearing. I'm, I'm, be- I'm basically, what I'm being is uh, grown up. So that, like, raised so that I'll help them when they're old. Because they keep on fucking asking me, oh, you, you'll help me when I'm old, right? You're going to put me in a home? Like, I'm going to put you in a home. I'm going to put you in a home? Yeah. <laughs> what, whatever's <laughs> cheaper. Not only that, but... No, but we, we told you guys, like, uh, that maybe it's based on, like, genetic similarity. Do you think that's uh, the case? Or maybe. do you think that's even real altruism? Could be to some people. Okay, David. Uh, I don't believe that, like altruism, uh, or yeah? pure altru- altruism at least. Mm. Okay. The way you described it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. it. <laughs> you, you don't have anything else. No. To add. No. Okay. Casper. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, so I actually put some topics here for for us to discuss. I just because I I'm interested in your guys' opinions. Next one here is uh, something that's called self interest theory, and actually links to this. And that, uh, well, simply put, not verbatim, it's um, that people usually act in self interest, right? Uh, so they. Duh. Yeah. No, but I mean that they don't act in selflessness. So it's pretty much the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's the same opinion around. Yeah, pretty uh, But much. this is the... Um, it was a the poor, philosoph- poor yeah, I topic know. to I follow. Know. <laughs> I know, but it's, a, it's just a philosophical equivalent of the psychological term. That makes sense. Does that make sense? 
Wait, that it yeah. benefits you, or what do you mean? No, uh, I like mean you that uh, you only do stuff based on your own um, motivation, right? Uh, your own uh, uh, gain, right? So um, even if you help someone, it's only because you know uh, you will be helped as well, or you gain something from that. Um, so it's but, pretty much but yeah, the same thing. Pr yeah, pretty much the same thing. Yes. Yes. Very nice. Okay. Next. Well, well, I mean, like, all actions, in my opinion, are yeah. an axiom of self-interest. Uh -huh. Like, economist Ludwig von Mises, who is also a political theorist, essentially says that because of the action axiom, every action is inherently a choice between two, uh, between going from one set of uncomfortable circumstances to a set of somewhat more comfortable circumstances. That, okay. that for action to even exist, there would have to be a prerequisite of an like unsatisfactory condition. Condition, And so essentially what that means is, let's say you are hungry. That is an unsatisfactory condition. Therefore, you get food. You therefore create an action to... Uh, how do I say? You, you therefore uh, do an action, which is to get food or cook food, to achieve a more satisfactory condition. Yeah. So I think that action in itself is inherently self-interested. And this applies for um, helping behavior as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if, same thing goes for donating. Essentially, uh, you feel better donating because that is a more satisfactory condition than in a condition in which you do not feel, okay. in which you, you do, do not do donate. Not do it. Yeah. Yeah. Psychology. Psychology. Yeah. Yes. No, but um, I, I think it's... Uh, shit, I lost my point. <laughs> I was just listening to you. Uh, I was going to just add something to this. But uh, no, that that's pretty much it. Like, uh, yeah, we are self-interested. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to make clear because one misconception I actually hear quite a bit is that uh, when you say that something is selfish, because it, the word has a bad connotation. Yeah. People think it's uh, bad, right? Yeah. So being selfish is bad just because it is. Which is not right? true. No. Being selfish. So uh, uh, dog like, eat dog world. The, the way we can put this is like. <laughs> is to um, actually try to change that connotation to to make it more palpable. So yeah. uh, being selfish doesn't mean you are being bad. It just means that you are being you and you are doing stuff. Yeah, which is like, I think that instead of discouraging selfishness, I think that we should be discouraging antisocial behavior. Sure. And we should like, be, instead of promoting selflessness, we should be promoting pro-social behavior. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing that I, I heard as well, uh, a term, egoistic altruism. You know about that one? Well, that's inherently contradictory. I know. Yeah. I know. But it's, I get what you mean. It's an oxymoron. I, I get what you mean. But yeah. uh, the, I think I saw a video about if this. If you really want someone to help other people, you need to make it in their self-interest. No, but not, not only that. The, the example they used in this, uh, I think it was a video that I watched uh, about this, was that if you help people, so altruistic behavior, quote, altruistic, um, you help people improve in their lives, they will end up as a community uh, helping everybody else, including you. Sure. Right? So that that's the argument. Sure. Which is pretty much the same basis. Yeah, that's like... Uh, uh, it's not real altruism. Though. Well, I mean, that, that kind of sounds similar to like uh, common Marxist theory, which is like uh, mutual mutual support, mutual mm. help. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you, helps, you help the greater collective so that the greater collective helps you. Yeah, no, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, but in, in that argument, you're still talking about 
your self-interest. No, yeah, totally. Right. Like Max Stirner, the uh, political theorist, he was an egoist. He, he, he called himself individual egoist, and he was actually a communist. Okay. So it, it's kind of like egoism. You, you can still be very collectivist and still very communitarian mm-hmm. and like socialist, Marxist, whatever, but you can also kind of t- see it through an egoist point of view. Okay. You get what I mean? I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Next topic. Yeah. We're doing like uh, quick bullet points. Yeah. Um, self, no, sorry. <laughs> Determinism. You yeah. know what that is. Yeah. You, you do, right? Do you explain. guys, you guys should talk. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll explain. Determinism, uh, it's pretty much the school of thought that says that um, everything is determined for you, right? So your actions and everything that happens is based Bro, this guy is addicted to his phone, man. He's fucking Snapchatting <laughs> and podcasting at the same time. <laughs> Dude, this is what I call multitasking. Exactly. Talented. Okay, so it, it pretty much describes um, that every action that you take mm-hmm. or everything that happens is based on everything that happened before, right? Okay. So uh, I only started this podcast because of everything that, like, if, for example, if you knew every detail about every molecule, every particle, everything that happened before a point, you could predict the rest of history. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, always, I've always, I've always, yeah, me too. thought like of that. That if you could somehow model, the further back in time you go, the fewer details you need in your model, and if you go back far yeah. enough as to correctly align all the positive and negative energy or whatever before the Big Bang, yeah, if you get that right, you could technically model everything that ever will and has happened in the universe. I guess the probability of the things that you predict happening is just based on uh, the amount of detail you have about the past. Yeah. Right? But the further back you go, the less detail there is to add. Yeah. David, what do you think? I mean, can this, like, apply to, like, everyday things? Yeah, no, but uh, one thing that I I just want to point out is that this is something that you can believe in, Mm -hmm. but I don't don't believe it should affect your decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, they are still your decisions. It just, uh, the only thing that it contradicts is that, like, you really have a choice. So this actually says that you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to naturally, quote, choose, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the so thing, the reason I don't believe in Casper's theory, um, or, like, for example, like, to know, like, what's going to uh-huh. happen in the future and stuff is because for example like this podcast like what you said yeah. the example it's like okay when did we start it uh four weeks ago five yeah weeks, first five of september right yeah yeah first. exactly so it's five weeks ago yeah yeah so um for example you know we started a drop shipping store at the same time and then that's how we started talking and stuff and then you came up with the idea of the podcast right um Okay, you might might have like come up with a with the idea, right? But if you wouldn't have found me or Albin, it's like okay, you might be able to find someone else for it, mm-hmm. but that may, might take like longer, you know. So no, it's no, not sure that you can like exactly know what's gonna happen in the future. But like you know, that's I understand what you mean. Like there's a freedom of choice, mm-hmm. sort of. But how did you guys meet? You started the yeah drop no, shipping thing. It's why did you start the drop shipping shipping thing, Nick? 
oh, let's no, just let's you just, just go say, back. You want to do this? Yeah. You want to do this? You want to do this? Uh, when you were young, you yeah, you got yeah, dropped whatever. on your head or something like that, and therefore <laughs> you want to do drop shipping now. Other, otherwise, <laughs> this podcast idea wouldn't be. Oh my here. god! But, like you can keep on going back, and all those things. I mean, they add up to who you are and what decisions you make. That's what I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. but do you think you you like you like that you know what like when it's gonna happen? Or only that it's going to happen. No, no like I when as don't, well. Uh, it's hard because it's so nuanced. Yeah, right? exactly. Because so for example, uh, like first of September, we, you might have started podcast, but maybe later or earlier, yeah, no, depending but, uh, on like exactly. You know, but uh, the, so the thing is that this goes you know to take into consideration. So you said depending on. Mm-hmm. If you know what that depending on is, and you have all the information, then you. You, you would know when okay technically happen. yes but there are a lot of things that you need to take into consideration yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah course, i mean it, it, it's theoretically possible yeah no but but it, it's like impossible yeah yeah no, exactly but, so David, uh, the, it the would thing be incredibly hard yeah it includes everything mm-hmm. so uh you yeah sorry the <laughs> example of like me uh finding you in alban mm-hmm. it's not like uh oh yeah i just chose you too it's much. It's. Uh, it actually says that I didn't have a choice, because because of all that my past a, experiences. What that it was like a cosmic. Yeah. Chance. What. Whatever. Like. Uh, or like. <clears throat> just because particles were arranged. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It, of course, we, we. There's no way to. Because the three moons it. of Jupiter were perfectly yeah, aligned. No, but like, I'm not saying like there is one reason and that one. <laughs> Led to this. Let's talk about astronomy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it is. So very Jupiter confusing. is a gas giant. Okay. Basically, Casper, what that Casper. means. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Nick is a gas giant. <laughs> <laughs> Too many beans, man. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't believe in uh, determinism. You don't. I think. Not? Well, even okay. So even if it is correct, let's say in a hypothet- hypothetical situation that is correct, I think it's dangerous to believe in determinism. Yeah, okay, why? I think that's mainly due to the fact that if we start believing that like we're not actually taking any actions, and that if we start believing that everything is determined, it starts to chip away at the very spirit of human yeah. of humanity it's yeah. saying like if you start believing that like okay fuck it if everything is determined why should i even try to do anything yeah, yeah. exactly why why, yeah. why yeah. would i study an extra three It'll dollars like tomorrow lead to inactivity basically. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah so, I, do, I don't think that that's why i added that i don't think that should uh be taken into account when making choices right yeah no exactly no, uh, that is just a explanation of how you made that choice maybe and i think that determinism is just like intellectually very lazy it's like okay if everything is everything happens for a reason so i don't care yeah everything happens is already predestined why should i have to think about like what is ethical what is wrong what is right true what actions is smart and what is not exactly so what moral code so yeah i think it's a dangerous thing well, yeah, one is Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, I. To think I that also way. agree. I, yeah. I also agree because I. I think it's uh, very interesting, and it. It it might be true. I believe it's most likely true. But I don't think it's a good way, of uh, perceiving the world. Yeah, I think it shouldn't influence your uh, decisions. Dis- decisions, but in theory, technically, it could work. Yeah, but yeah. in theory, but in rea- reality, I highly doubt that. Um, one argument I saw, kind of an argument I saw against it, was that um, this guy in also another video he was talking about how, like, data in general, like information, right? And information, if you think of uh, let let's say a computer file, right? Mm-hmm. 
file is just like zeros and ones. Yeah. And when you compress that file, what you do is that you take the parts that repeat mm -hmm. and you say, instead of saying zero one, zero one, zero one, zero one, you say zero one times four, right? So that's how you compress it. So you take the patterns, the non-random, and reduce it to the absolute minimum, which is random. So the, the argument, uh, let's just see if you, if you guys can follow it. The argument is that uh, inherently the information is random because if you compress it far enough um, in that way, the core of information is randomness. So that, that just means that there is no way to predict it. There's nothing random in the universe. So no, I get what you mean though. Yeah, I get what you, you mean. Know, like for you example, know what I mean, right? Um, it's like in animation. Yeah. Uh, when you do ragdoll technology, okay. like when you're animating uh yeah. limp bodies, you can do the exact same line of codes a million times, like just again and again and again. But yeah. every time you will have a different result. That's that's because of uh, ele uh free flowing electrons and stuff in the computer. Sometimes electrons go. Uh, end up in the wrong place. No, sometimes okay. electrons end up in the wrong place. That's when we get like bugs and stuff. No, but okay. okay. If you're gonna okay. go down to like the atomic no, yeah, level, no, but, then, okay, yeah. sure. No, but uh, what I mean is like information. Let's let's just say that I don't know the pattern on this rug, right? Yeah. I could just say I could describe it just as well by saying that these lines repeat this way and this pattern repeats that way, sure, and make it a very tiny cube of information yeah right but that cube would be quote random yeah so that's what i mean so like uh the the argument here is saying that information is random in essence well which is actually contradictory to what we usually think of information when we say information we usually say oh yeah it's how we organize things right so organization usually that's a nice pussy <laughs> okay for come the on. audio listeners i just showed him a picture of a cat <laughs> come on yeah no but that, that's it that's what i wanted to talk about on patterns because right, like cool. um that actually made me question is this actually real do you think that mm. determinism could be considered that's it do All you right. guys have anything else to add I think this is very, very interesting, topic. and I think in future episodes you can definitely bring up your. Yeah, you yeah. can definitely develop on. This. Yeah, these yeah, theories. Expand. Even when you guys come back. Yeah, bro, it's gonna be part two. Casper and Daniel. Casper yeah. and Daniel. Gang. Yeah. Gang. Maybe, shit, maybe next time it will be Daniel and Casper. Gang. Shit. Yeah, we'll talk about astronomy and stuff. I Wait, hate astronomy. How Jupiter has. Dude, I don't even. How many? Know. I don't even know how many. Yeah, I'm really terrible at astronomy. Yeah. What? I don't know how many continents there are on the solar system. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. After like five oceans in the world? Yeah. <laughs> like in the universe? Yeah. What? All How right, does that guys. make sense? Okay, guys, we're going to cut it right, right? there because it's, it's going too far. <laughs> yep. Well, what is the sun? So, to I finish off, moon. it's cheese. Guys, it's cheese. thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Yep. Uh, we're here in the snow, very close together. We're going to say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye bye. bye.